Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space where we can show up to remember, no matter what's happening around us, that God's always at work in our mess. Well, I am Jen Jewell, and I have the honor of hosting this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a brand new episode into your earbuds every other Tuesday. We are partnered with the women of my church, Life Church, as well as some incredibly brave women from all over the greater Capital C Church. We're on the same team. And like Revelation 12, 11 tells us, our enemy is conquered by Jesus's ultimate sacrifice and by the words of our testimonies, sharing, writing, speaking what he's done in our actual lives. So as you are already keenly aware, there's just been a ton of hard these past several months. Obviously, the global pandemic with COVID-19, the economic impact that's dominoed because of it, and then the ongoing heartbreaking injustices and racial tensions that continue to wound our nation. And on that topic specifically, I want to encourage anyone and everyone to listen to episode 32 with Sharon Hester, where she shares what it looks like to cross lines and build bridges. But today I am joined by an honestly amazing woman who's encouraged my own faith in a big way, who's had to walk through and live through some of the hardest, darkest days any one of us could imagine. Emily Freeman is a pastor's wife and mama of seven. She, alongside of her husband, Jeremy, have learned and modeled what it looks like to trust God in life and in death. In the great, wonderful times and in the excruciatingly hard times, They've seen miracles unfold before their very eyes, and they've also known the deepest of griefs. Y'all, Emily is warm and humble and darling and wise. So if you're a regular here at The Messy Table, you know that we think it's incredibly valuable to hear each other's hearts, to hear each other's stories. And I will personally tell you that I think Emily's perspective is vital. In fact, I dare you to remain unmoved. I dare you not to think differently about tragedies and miracles. I dare you not to be inspired by the work of Jesus through this incredible family story. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join me for a chat with Emily. Emily, welcome to The Messy Table. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you. And we actually have a lot of ground to cover in this conversation. But first, would you just tell everyone about yourself, about your family, your ministry, just whatever will help us all get to know you a little better? Sure. So um, I have been married to my husband, Jeremy, for 21 years. Yay. Which, yes, that sounds like a really long time when I say it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> It is a long time. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's been a wonderful 21 years. Um, we do serve at First Baptist Church in Newcastle, um, where he's been the pastor for about 10 years. Awesome. And we have seven children. And my oldest name is Brittany, and she is turning 20 this month. Um, and she is in nursing at Oklahoma Baptist University. She wants to do medical missions. Caleb is turning 19 this month. <laughs> so um, they're very close together. And he actually just graduated from high school. Yay. Many people have heard of Caleb's story, so they know what a miracle That's that. That's a big deal. Yeah, yes. we're going to get to all that. But that <laughs> like, makes me want to cry. That's amazing. I hate that it had to be remote, but yeah. <laughs> it well, is what it is. Yes, we're thankful. And he is uh, planning to attend Rose State for two years and actually got a leadership scholarship there. So that's pretty 
pretty cool. And then um, my son Clayton is 17, and he just finished his sophomore year. He is our little pastor, so he's going to follow in his dad's footsteps. And then Trey is, or he would be our 14-year-old. He went to be with the Lord Mm -hmm. about seven years ago, so he's in heaven, Mm. um, and we miss him every day. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to be with him again. Right. Um, and then Aubrey is 11. So she is about to go to middle school, which, of course, is a big deal. And then we have Luke, who's five, and Addie, who is four. And we adopted uh, Luke and Addie about four years ago. So uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. Did you adopt them locally from the States or was it? Yes. Yes. Through DHS. And so they have the same mother and so they are half siblings, and um, that's a whole nother story <laughs> um, as well. But um, they do keep our life very interesting and very busy, and so they are huge blessings. Overall, life is very busy, always on the go. <laughs> <laughs> well, as people can tell just from this little introduction, there's so much loaded in to your story and your life. And I was thinking, so you said you've been married 21 years. Your daughter, Brittany, is almost 20 and Caleb is 19. So I'm thinking back, oh my goodness, you had to have gotten pregnant pretty quick. Yes. And then you just had boom, boom, back to back kids. Yes. Was that nut? It was. And we didn't really think through many things. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were just in love. Yes, absolutely. We, we We met at OBU and it was my junior year that we got married. And then Brittany was born two weeks after I graduated. So, so yes. And then actually Caleb was born 364 days later. (laughs) So we did move really fast at that point. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, we have a couple of mutual friends, the walls, and then um, a sweet girl named Tiffany connected us for this podcast conversation. But another fun fact is that your husband, Jeremy, was a youth intern back in the day for my youth group. I was asking Robin Wall when that was, and she was thinking like 99, 2000 at Council Row Baptist in Oklahoma City with Chris Wall. And I just remember him being so fun and just such a solid guy. Were you already in the picture at that point? I was. And I remember he was doing that basically as I was finishing up at OBU. So okay. he, he graduated a year before me and then he worked at Council Road while I was completing my senior year. So all of this kind of um, chaos and I was pregnant with Brittany, that was all going on <laughs> at that same time. So you guys have been in full-time ministry your entire marriage. You've had seven kids, two of which were adopted. And then obviously, as you just described, you faced some absolute tragedies and some absolute miracles. So if you are willing, we would just be so grateful to hear what you've been through and um, how God has met you in that mess. Yes. So we have definitely experienced um, many hard things since we've been married. I was thinking uh, recently about my grandfather, who was the pastor of my church growing up, and um, his favorite verse in Scripture was Nahum 1-7. And so that is a verse that I've known was probably the very first Bible verse that I memorized. Um, And it uh, says that the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who put their trust in Him. Mm. And so... That verse, I said that over and over again growing up because he would always have us say that as a congregation. Mm. Um, But those words have (laughs) come to mean so much more as life has progressed and um, have become so true just in my life personally because uh, 
there have been many days of trouble, many hard things. And so um, I will do my best to kind of walk through this. I know we were talking about before hitting record that it's really not fair to try to package this into a little hour podcast whenever there's so much, but we just do our best. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So um, like we were talking about, Jeremy and I started having children pretty quickly. And so we had Brittany and then we had Caleb and I was pregnant with my third Clayton when we found out that he was going to be born with a disease called severe combined immune deficiency, which is basically the boy in the plastic bubble. If you've ever seen that movie or heard of that. Yes. So basically they're born without any immune system or way of fighting off infection or, Mm -hmm. you know, bacteria or virus or anything like that. And you knew this before he was born? We did. And that's a whole, (laughs) that's a whole story too, because my family was kind of a big research project. My (laughs) mom had four kids. This is some things you may or may not want to include on this, but um, (laughs) my brothers were both born without immune systems and they have a whole story, but this was new to our family. Like there was no family history. So the doctors really didn't know what was going on or that it was a hereditary thing at the time. Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, my brothers were in the news. They were two of the very first transplants in the United States for this condition because it was very new. Doctors were just figuring out that it was a condition. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be a dumb question, but what do you transplant? It's bone marrow. Okay. So yes. So you have bone marrow transplants. And so there are many children that just will um, be born and then they'll just get sick and Mm -hmm. doctors can't explain why. And then they'll end up dying of some chronic condition. Well, it turns out maybe they just didn't have an immune system at all. And that was the issue. So back then it was very, very new. And so by the time we figured out that I was actually a carrier of this X-Link Skids, I was pregnant with Clayton and they were able to test him in the womb and know that he was going to be born with it ahead of time. And so there's a 50% chance that a boy will have this, if that makes sense. Hmm. So with girls, there's a 50% chance that the girl will carry the gene. With boys, there's a 50% chance that he'll have the disease. And when you say 50%, meaning if it's hereditary? Right. So Caleb, for example, did not. So he was born healthy. Okay. Like 50% if you have a parent that has it. Is that what you're saying? Yes, because like um, only females can carry the gene. Oh, okay. Only males can get it because it's X-linked. So I'm a carrier. Wow. Yes. <laughs> it's it, the genetics. It's very complex. But anyway, so Clayton had it. So he was born. We went to a Children's Hospital Los Angeles because there aren't that many places in the United States to treat the condition. So we spent seven months um, in Los Angeles. We moved Brittany and Caleb out there. So I was living out there with a one and two year old. And then my uh, son was in the hospital and he was in a bone marrow unit. So we weren't really allowed to touch him. Oh, wow. You know, we had to have the gloves and the gown and the mm-hmm. masks and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so he received a half match transplant from my husband, Jeremy. He was the donor for that. And then a uh, long story short, uh, seven months later, we were able to return home and we brought him home and and he's done great wow. ever since then. But seven months is still a really long time. 
It was. <laughs> it was a really long time. And at the time, it was very much a one day at a time situation mm. where you can't really think of seven months. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But one day at a time, you know, God gave us what we needed and he supplied our needs through just, you know, people and mm-hmm. many other things. So um, anyway, so we get home and are trying to kind of return to somewhat of a normal life. Um At that point, knowing the genetics and everything, we had made a decision that we were planning not to have any more children for this time. So we had been in Arkansas. Jeremy was a youth pastor during that time that Clayton was uh, in the hospital. Um, But he uh, was called to a church in Tulsa, actually. (laughs) So um, we moved to Tulsa. Yeah, Tulsa. Yes. (laughs) So he was an associate pastor at Parkview Baptist there. And so it was at that time that we were surprised by Trey. I got pregnant with him, um, even though we weren't planning that. (laughs) Well, those things Um, happen sometimes. Yes, they do. And we actually were, you know, a lot of emotions with that, but we were just oh, surely we're not going to have another (laughs) boy with this condition. We're not going to have to do this, you know, like just praying, Lord, please let this be the other 50%. Um, So we found out that Trey was, in fact, infected with the condition as well. So he was going to be born without an immune system. Were you just like, what? (laughs) Yes. Those moments, you know, there were many, but I I still remember Jeremy and I just kind of looking at each other in disbelief, like, how are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. But, you know, we were in touch with the doctors from Los Angeles, and we were able to test our other children and ourselves to see if anyone was a perfect match. Um, it's very rare to get a perfect match in those situations from someone who's related because there has to be like seven points of perfect harmony within your bone marrow. But anyway, it turned out our oldest daughter, Brittany, was a match oh, for wow. Trey. Mm-hmm. And so that was a huge blessing, an unexpected blessing. And mm-hmm. we were able to take him to Dallas instead of Los Angeles and have his treatment there, which was much closer Mm -hmm. for us. And um, we ended up spending four months at the hospital in Dallas. And uh, Brittany donated bone marrow as a five-year-old. And um, so during that time, it was again, just, okay, we're going to face this one day at a time. And um, again, the Lord was with us one day at a time. The thing I remember most from that particular hospital stay was the verse that I kept up on the wall every single day was um, Isaiah 26, verse 3, which says, He will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on him Mm. because he trusts in him. And it's amazing because I was experiencing that kind of supernatural peace. And even though I didn't always feel it inside, like sure. there were moments of panic and yeah. uncertainty and all of that. Um, I did have peace. And I remember one nurse coming to me one day. Uh, I think she was a Hindu, maybe from India, but she just came to me and she says, I don't understand how you have such peace. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to me the peace that you have? Yeah, that gives me chills. <laughs> and, um, yes. And so it was just even though I didn't always feel it, I realized that peace was coming out of me just because the Spirit of God Mm -hmm. was in me and allowing people to see that. You weren't manipulating it on your own. Right. It was just Him. And so 
I was able to share with her the reason for my peace. And we had a gospel conversation and she heard the good news. And I'm praying that God used that. But there were many opportunities like that that have come through these times that are difficult because it's in those times that I think people kind of recognize how you are handling hard things and Mm -hmm. that there's a difference in ability to walk through those things when you're not doing it by yourself. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes we can't even explain. Right often can't explain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So all of that was, again, like I said, one day at a time, some really difficult days, some wonderful days, but just trying to get through. And at the end of that time, we were able to bring Trey home. And um, for six years, Trey lived a very normal, healthy life. Just you would never know to look at him that, you know, there was anything different. Same Mm -hmm. with Clayton. You know, um, they just did everything that all the other kids did and really didn't require any extra treatment or anything like that. Um, But it was the fall of 2012, which was about six years later, um, that Trey started to get sick. And at this point, we had actually moved to Newcastle. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jeremy was serving as the pastor. This was his first role as the main pastor Mm -hmm. for a church. And so um, we were there and it was actually a weekend that we were in Tulsa. We had gone back to Tulsa for this little fun run that they do in So Trey had participated in that and he had run a mile and he had done so well and was just healthy enough to to do all of those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And you said he was six at this time? Yes. Okay. He was six. And so we came home and Jeremy's dad, who's an evangelist, was actually starting a revival at our church that fall. And so I remember Trey was laying his head in my lap and just he felt warm. And so that was the first of just these fevers that started. And, um, you know, at first we just treated it like, you know, any other fever. But he also started to get an unusual rash on his body um, that was just unique. And so we started talking to our local doctors. And then when they couldn't really figure out what was going on with him, they sent us back to the Dallas doctors who were his immunologist and his oncologist. And so they were the ones who um, diagnosed that what had happened, which is a very, very rare thing. My daughter's cells, Brittany's cells, um, the transplant that had happened six years ago, um, her cells were actually starting to attack Trey's body. So it was acting kind of like a leukemia, but it wasn't a leukemia. It was more of a proliferation of these cells. And so, you know, typically if something like that were going to happen, it would happen very soon after the transplant. You thought you were in the clear. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And so um, it was very unusual. And I don't think doctors knew exactly, you know, I think they were trying to figure out exactly how to tackle that as well, because there weren't that many situations where it had happened and definitely not in someone young like Trey. Mm -hmm. And so um, we started to do, you know, everything possible to try to to treat those cells and to get them under control. Uh, You know, they did a great job. These doctors are some of the best when it comes to this kind of thing. So um, we trusted, you know, them and just went with everything that they suggested. So Trey endured many, many things, uh, medications, treatments, you know, all of that. And, And I should say, like, We started off treating it just more with medications, but then Trey did end up having to be admitted to the hospital, to the bone marrow unit, and he ended up spending a total of about 250 days in the hospital. Um, And so 
some of those days were back to back and some where he was able to come home and go back in, but it was a lot of time in the hospital. And um, the doctors decided to try to do another transplant with Brittany again. So she was 11 or 12 now. But she donated bone marrow again, oh and they goodness. tried that. Yes. <laughs> so, so question, why did they think now that her cells were attacking his, why did they think it would be different this time? They wiped everything out first. So it's kind of like they use chemotherapy and you get everything mm. out of there. So they were hoping her cells... Um, like would take over? Yeah. I mean, theoretically, um, her cells would still be the very best ones for him because they were a perfect match for him. Mm-hmm. So if they could start with a clean slate and then just get rid of everything that was, you know, had gotten overgrown or whatever, mm-hmm. and then try again. I think that was the strategy for them. So they did that. And, you know, Trey came home from the hospital and we, you know, we celebrated everyone in town kind of were out on the streets as he drove home from this. And we were very hopeful that that was going to take care of it. Um, it was about a month later that he started to spike a high fever again. And of course, we were just like, oh, we we took him back. And again, it was confirmed that the cells were back and they were, you know, um, almost, I guess you could say, back with a vengeance. And um, so these cells were very aggressive. And so we were back to the hospital. And I remember that we were at this point. Let's see. I think that was February or maybe January that we had been in the hospital doing this maybe five or six months. And so we were, of course, kind of tired and overwhelmed. But we I remember us telling the doctors, we want you to do everything humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they were willing to because these were the same doctors that had, you know, known Trey. They had been through it with you guys. Yes. And they love Trey. Like, you know, he was very special to them. And so they were trying to do everything possible. And we were praying and we were fighting. Trey was fighting. But at the same time, you know, Jeremy and I were praying too. And um, I remember one time specifically, we were in his room and I think it was Jeremy who prayed, Lord, we want you to do whatever, you know, glorifies yourself Mm. through this. And then we both looked at each other and it was like, do we really mean that? You know, <laughs> do we really mean that? Is That's a scary prayer, yeah. you know, um, because it's one of complete surrender uh-huh. of, you know, and it's kind of one thing, I think, to surrender yourself, but mm-hmm. it's a whole nother ball game when it's your, mm-hmm. your child that you're surrendering. So, but anyway, I will say out of like all of those days, um, the like, there's so many and so many of them were hard. And I, I would not go into everything that Trey faced. There were a lot of really hard things um, that happened with him and in his body and his skin and just all of that. And he's a six year old boy. I mean, laying in a hospital for 250 days, even in my head, I'm just picturing, you know, you guys laying with him, him coloring, like what all can you do? Watch movies. All the while your body just not working properly. How was his spirit? How was his heart during all that? Well, and that's, that's the amazing thing that I was about to say is, you know, they nicknamed him Super Trey. Mm. And the reason they did that was because of how his spirit and heart were during that. He was, you know, it was incredible how, you know, doctors came around every day, you know, how are you doing? And he was always just good and he was content and he was very positive. And it was really a supernatural Mm. thing because he didn't complain. But 
I remember one of the really unique things about Trey too is um, that he would always want to have his Bible and he would copy scripture out of it all the time. Like Mm -hmm. that was like he had this little notebook and he had the Bible and he would just copy down these scriptures. Hmm. So we have several of those that we've, you know, either framed or put here or there. So... Sorry, this is the part where I could get emotional. <laughs> oh, girl, I'm over yeah. here crying already. So, <laughs> yeah. So, and I just want to stop real quick. And I know that everyone listening knows this, but this is your life. Mm-hmm. And yes, we're on a podcast and we're trying to think, okay, how can we, you know, get this into an hour conversation? But gosh, there's just so much depth here and a heaviness. And we know that. Yeah. And so I just want to, yeah. I don't know, honor <laughs> you and just say that as we're talking this through that. There's no way that we can even begin to go into all of it. There's just so much there. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's it's one of those things that I don't talk about Trey a whole lot. So when, you know, when I do put myself back in that place, it's going to bring the emotion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, two of the days I would say that were most significant for me personally in the hospital were the two days that Trey, you know, he asked me the same question. And so on January the 8th, 2013, I was over on my little thing that I slept on kind of over on the side and he was in bed and it's not unusual that I will look over. I kind of woke up. It was late at night and I looked over and Trey was awake and that wasn't unusual because he didn't always sleep great. You know, he, um, he had gotten to a place where he kind of would hunch over his pillow and just kind of lay like that, trying to like find a good place for his skin and stuff where he'd be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I went over and I was like, you know, what's going on? I could tell he'd been kind of thinking about things. And so, um, I was just kind of waiting to see. And so he asked me, he said, um, okay, sorry. (laughs) No, girl. This is your little boy. You are good. You take all the time you need. Um, But he said, mom, am I going to die? And I looked at him and I said, Trey, I'm not sure when you're going to die. You know, none of us know how many days we have on this earth. Um, But I know that you won't, you know, until it's time that God is finished with you here, that kind of thing. And he turned to me and he said, but mom, I'm not a Christian. And I said, "Uh, well, let's, I mean, we've talked about, obviously around our house, we talk a lot about the Lord and Mm -hmm. Trey hadn't necessarily been ready for that Mm -hmm. beforehand. He had kind of wanted what his older siblings had as far as celebrating a spiritual birthday and that kind of thing. But we had known he wasn't really ready for that. But at this point he was really thinking about it. And so I started talking to him more about that. And we went over, you know, what it means to surrender your life to Christ and to um, something that really resonated with Trey was making Jesus the boss of his life. (laughs) So, so that's kind of how we talked about it. I love that. Yes. After we had that conversation, he said that he wanted to do that, that he wanted Jesus to be the boss of his life. So, so we prayed together and then, um, he was kind of crying. I didn't say anything, but he had some tears and then he wanted to call his dad and we did that. And so, you know, all of that took place. And so later I went back to my side of the bed and I was just kind of sitting there and thinking about everything. And he was like, mom. Uh, and I was like, yes. And he said, did you see that I was crying? And I said, yes, I saw that. And I said, that's okay. And he said, yeah, those were happy tears. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, yes, I'm having, I have happy <laughs> tears too. <laughs> so, but anyway, so 
that was obviously a very significant night in the hospital for me just because it was the day that Jesus became, you know, real to train, became Lord of his life. Mm -hmm. Well, September 1st of 2013, which is what, eight months uh, after that, um, we were all in the hospital again. And at this point, we had done everything, like we said, we had done everything humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And Jeremy and I had actually been home the day before because uh, my dad had come up to stay with Trey and I'd gone home to be with the kids and we had gotten a phone call that we needed to come back. And so we were like, okay, I mean, we had, that had happened before and usually it was fine, but this time when we got there, we knew that it was different. And um, so we had our neighbor bring all of our kids back to the hospital. So uh, when we were all there together, it was about noon on that Sunday. And uh, Trey had been on this machine. It wasn't a respirator, but it was very close to that. It was called Vapotherm. Mm -hmm. And it was basically keeping his lungs going strongly. And so uh, we were talking to the doctors. Um, He had gotten to a place where there was some bleeding going on inside and they couldn't control that anymore. So we just knew that this was, I mean, unless the Lord really intervened um, right then, that this was probably going to be our last few moments with him. And your whole family was together. Yes, um, we had everybody in the room except Aubrey. She was, um, she was a little younger, and we we didn't have her in there. Although I kind of wish we would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, she kind of wishes she had been in there. I can imagine it's hard to know in that situation yeah, what to do. It is hard because Trey was. I mean, he was in a really like physically. He looked. It, it was hard. Mm-hmm. And so anyway. Um, We were all gathered around Trey just as a family and everyone was kind of trying to say things to him, you know, just like, and it's amazing because Trey, he was so just mentally uh, sharp Mm. and he was really with us to the end. Like, you know, he was there and he, he was very alert and aware. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, all my older kids are talking to him and trying to say this or that. And um, (laughs) he's picking up on all this. And so, Again, he kind of leaned up on the end of the bed and looked at Jeremy and I and just said, am I about to die? Oh, sweet guy. Yeah. Um, So, you know, in that moment, you don't really have the words um, to say, but it was really an amazing thing because um, I really just felt the Holy Spirit. And I just looked at Trey and I, I mean, there was no, like I wasn't crying or upset or anything. I was just totally calm and at peace. Now we cry, but then there was peace. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, um, I just looked at him and I said, Trey, no, you are not about to die. Um, you are about to really live. Oh, and, um, he just sat back, you know, he smiled and he was, perfectly content with that. And, um, they turned down the vapotherm and, um, I, uh, I held him and I was actually singing to him this old song. It's, I don't even know where it came from, but it's the song that says, my only hope is you, Jesus. My only hope is you Mm -hmm. from early in the morning till late at night. You know, my only hope is you. And I was just singing that Mm -hmm. and he just took his last breath. (sighs) I don't. Sorry. Uh, no, I, I don't have words. I don't have you words. know, I, I never know exactly. Like, I definitely was thinking I would be strong to share this. <laughs> but, no. 
You don't have to be strong. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, um, your words <laughs> to him were so beautiful and so true. It, this might be a weird comparison, but it makes me think of the last book in Narnia, the very last paragraph of the last battle, when it says something about all their life had just been the cover and the title page. And now they were beginning the greatest story that no one had ever read. Yeah. And it's beautiful yeah. and it's true. This is not all there is. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> yes. Amen. And so, um, you know, I really can't explain what it was like after that and just um, trying to leave and mm-hmm. um, walk out of that hospital and just the heartache and the pain. And um, there really is no, no way to explain that. Um, but we did. And um, we went home together as a family. Mm-hmm. And I will say that, you know, I, I think I shared earlier, my mom had gone to be with the Lord and my nephew had gone to be with the Lord. So there was a lot of grieving, <laughs> you know, going on and not only just, you know, our family, but my, my sister, my my extended family. So how old was your nephew that passed away? He was 85 days old. So yeah, a lot. Gosh, just a lot. Yes. Too much for one person, (laughs) one family. It was, it was definitely too much to process all at once. And so it has come in different seasons and different ways. But um, I will say going home from that hospital, it was like the physical things, like just breathing was really hard and exhausting. And I remember for me personally, I had such a hard time even just like swallowing. Like it was just the simple, like basic (laughs) things Mm -hmm. that I struggled with. And I will say that it was a dark time. Like I just, you know, went home and, um, yeah. What do you do when you get home? Yeah. I just lay on the bed and <laughs> and think I'd like to go to sleep and, you know, wake up where Trey is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but I couldn't do that. Right. And, you know, there was still a reason for me to remain here. And Jesus really did remind me of that. And I actually remember when I was laying on my bed, I pulled out this this thing that my mom had written. And um, part of what she said in it was, uh, never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. Mm. And um, so I just started to focus on those things that I knew to be true. Mm. And our family started to do that. We just started to um, focus on the truth, on who God is and the hope that we have, um, the promises that we have. Going back to your verse from the beginning, that the Lord is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Yes. And we really just talked about, hey, guys, we don't really, you know, know what life's going to look like, but we're just going to keep doing the next right thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's all we can do right now is is do the next right thing. And um, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 has really become like probably our our family go to <laughs> scripture. And it says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day mm-hmm. for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen mm-hmm. for the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Yes. That's exactly what we had to focus on was the eternal things mm-hmm. and uh, those things that we uh, knew and um, that we would one day <laughs> uh, see. And um, But now we just had to walk by faith and trust in the Lord to give us himself mm-hmm. every day, one day at a time as one we— One day at a time. Yes, learned how to endure. So, so that's <laughs> um, gotten us 
through uh, Trey and through um, that year, which was, I would say, I don't know that I, I just can't imagine something harder to experience on this earth than, you know, having a child go um, to be with the Lord. I mean, even though I think one of the hardest things for me personally as his mom was just not being able to go with him, even Mm -hmm. though I knew he was with the Lord and I knew he was fine. I just wanted to go and see. Because on earth, we're here to comfort our kids. You know, we just had Mother's Day recently and in the cards that my kids both wrote me, little handmade cards, both of them referenced me being with them when they're sick. Yes. You know, and that's what moms do. And so I can imagine that that would be really hard. Yeah. You know, I've felt a little bit like that panic of your child, you know, if you've ever felt like you've lost your child, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in a place and you can't find him for those few moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to really kind of have that panic. But then God reminded me that I know exactly where Trey is and who he's with. And he couldn't be like this day. That was the very worst day I could experience on this earth was actually the very best day for Trey mm-hmm. <laughs> because he was home. He's free of all this pain, this mm-hmm. sickness, this hurt. It can never touch him again. And so right. um, I just had to rejoice and be thankful in mm-hmm. that. And I, I wouldn't want to bring him back <laughs> to this. Yeah. But I think that's the hardest thing about grief is that we have to live on this earth for this prolonged or I guess indefinite amount of time, mm-hmm. not knowing how long it is before we're all together again. Yes. And I think that's the hard part. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. It's learning to live. Yes. Um, but anyway, so after that, um, that was 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you fast forward to 2017, just when you think one family (laughs) has maybe gone through enough. Yes. I I mean, we will always forever be that we're still trying to live without trace. So, I mean, the pain changes, like you just learn how to live with it really. And the Lord shows you how to do that and helps you to do that every day. Um, but on November 5th of 2017, mm-hmm. a month before the accident, um, my youngest, I'm the oldest of four children, my youngest brother, Daniel, suddenly went to be with the Lord. Mm. And he had a wife and three little boys. And so that was something that we were still processing and grieving. Mm. Was it an accident or was he sick? Or uh, If you remember, I shared my brothers were also born without the immune systems. And so, yeah. um, but Daniel had actually been he was the younger of the two brothers and he had been the healthier one all of his life. Matt had struggled more. Um, they both had three bone marrow transplants when they were little because of the new newness of it all. Mm -hmm. And, um, Daniel had always done so well. And so this was just a shocking thing that he all of a sudden um, was sick and couldn't really recover from that. And then he was looking forward to this uh, treatment they were going to do that was supposed to happen at the beginning of the year. But then this was a sudden, like, get the phone call and your brother has gone you know, he's, it it was, it was a shock really. Oh my goodness, Emily. Yes. The way that it happened. So we were actually at Kristen, his wife's house, December the 18th. We had our Christmas together then with her and the boys and everyone was there and we were trying to um, kind of celebrate Christmas and we were missing Daniel. It had been about a month since Daniel had gone to be with the Lord. So we were there together and So then we went home from that. And then the next day was December 19th. So we obviously had no idea (laughs) what that day would bring. But um, December the 19th was the day that that we got the phone call that, you know, is every parent's 
you know, worst nightmare to get when your child is a driver, you know, once they're driving. Mm -hmm. And that morning, Jeremy had done a funeral. And so he was doing that with the funeral coordinator from the funeral home. And that uh, gentleman is actually the one who offered Jeremy the tickets to the OU basketball game for that night. And so Jeremy called Caleb and said, hey, I got tickets to the game tonight. Do you want to go? And at first, Caleb was not going to go. He wasn't that injured. It wasn't going to be a great game, except that Trey Young was playing. And so when he found out that the tickets were actually really close to the floor, and then he decided to go. And so um, I remember um, it was kind of raining that day, and I was getting ready for a Christmas party that night. And so um, Caleb was laying in my bed just watching ESPN or something. And I still remember when he started to get up and get ready, and I thought, okay, he's decided to go to the game. And then I was busy and preoccupied with all my things, getting ready for the evening. But Mm -hmm. um, Jeremy was taking care of. He gave the boys tickets. Clayton was going with Caleb and um, getting them off. And since it was rainy and stuff, he was giving them extra instruction for being cautious, driving slowly, making sure their phones are, you know, not anywhere near and that kind of thing. And so he had met them and and given them those tickets. And then he had arrived at home and he was going to take the little kids out while the party was going on. So I just heard the phone, his cell phone, and he answered. And, you know, I could just hear the conversation. It was really strange. It was Caleb's cell phone, but it was a, a man on the phone. And so from that phone call, you're hearing, okay, your sons have been in an accident. Um, and then you just jumping in the car and driving, and then you keep trying to get more information from this man. And so you were hosting a Christmas party. I was supposed to be, it was going to be happening soon. So obviously it did not. (laughs) Right. I was trying to picture, were you in the middle of it or was it right before? No, it was before. So I had like food in the crock pot and my little ones were about to go out the door. I ended up putting them on the bed with my 10 year old and having my sister come. I had to call her and I said, Mm -hmm. they're on the bed. You know, she lives like two minutes down the road. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we just started heading toward the accident and it was raining. Um, We still didn't really know. We could hear Clayton talking. And so we knew he was okay, but they wouldn't let us talk to Caleb. Well, he wasn't able to talk. And so we just knew it was bad, but Mm -hmm. it was just like, I had these thoughts like this can't be too serious. But at the same time, is he unconscious? Like, why can't we talk to him? It was kind of one of those moments where I feel like I left my body and was just observing, (laughs) observing everything. And so as we got to the accident and realized more so how serious it was, you know, the condition of the semi truck and everything at the scene, the traffic, um, it was obviously a lot more serious than I could imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. So a semi-truck was involved. Did they just go off the road? Well, so basically, um, Caleb was merging onto the highway and his car hydroplaned. Mm -hmm. And so it spun off into the lane that was the traffic that was moving uh, faster and um, just stopped right in the middle of that lane, basically like horizontally so that the semi-truck that was coming, carrying 75,000 pounds going, you know, fast, just totally hit Caleb, you know, on the driver's side and then drove his truck just several feet. Um, And then I think into the pile on or whatever that middle thing is, and then kind of hit it again. And so, 
the truck itself, the semi truck was really damaged. Like it was totaled, which is not what you want to see or hear. No. And I can't imagine because Caleb basically later on, we, you know, we learned that his head was resting against the grill of the semi truck when the people got there. Mm. Um, there was really no other place for that to have been absorbed except for Caleb's head. And the amazing thing was, I mean, (laughs) Clayton was in the passenger seat. Caleb was in the driver's seat. Clayton had a mild concussion, but I don't think like the people that were receiving them in and the trauma nurses have later said like, Caleb should have, I mean, it should have been Clayton that was in Caleb's situation and Caleb should, there was just he should not have survived. And they had the fatality team working the accident. They were talking about trying to preserve his organs. Um, So no one on the scene expected Caleb to live or thought Mm -hmm. he was still, you know, viable, I guess. Which it was close. It was touch and go for a while. Yes, it was. And so it was not until, you know, the lady, Jalinda, who was just driving by, came upon the scene. And she actually is the one who started to look to Caleb and try to see if he was still breathing and all of that. And so God really used her in that way. And um, then they started to really work on him. And then the amazing thing is that Caleb, through that impact and whatever, he did not have a single broken bone in his body. So he was missing like the top portion of his ear. And he obviously had the severe brain injury. Mm -hmm. So his brain was what was significantly impacted. And we didn't know that yet. Right here, we were just still like thinking, is he alive, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember when they sent us to the ER and being in that car at that moment, I remember that being the very low point where I was just crying out to God. Like I was screaming, I was crying. I was basically telling him, I can't do this again. I need you just to take me right now (laughs) because I can't. Like I just, that's how I felt. Like I was Mm -hmm. so overwhelmed. The verse from 2 Corinthians chapter one, where uh, it's verse eight that says we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That is exactly how Mm. I felt in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I was so overwhelmed and I just was like, Lord, I cannot do this. And I wanted to stop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I just wanted to to not be there anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it was amazing how quickly God stepped into that, just that panic and that fear and the agony of that moment. Um, He really did. We arrived at the ER and he sent people to us immediately. Total strangers. A lady I did not. uh, She was just with her children in the ER, an African-American lady that just came up and started to pray over us without even knowing a thing that was going on. And her words were just like God had totally was speaking through her Mm -hmm. into our lives. And then Jalinda, who came in the door next with Caleb's blood all over her, who just grabbed our hands and looked at us and said, I was with your son. I helped him to breathe. I prayed over him from head to toe. And I want you to know, God has confirmed in my heart that he's going to be okay, that, Mm. that he's going to heal him. And so Things like that, that God started to do. And he just knew how much I needed that. Mm -hmm. And he he didn't have to do that, but he did. He really invaded the panic with peace. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's exactly what happened in my heart. There was a peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding that does not make sense that Philippians talks about. That is the exact peace that I was experiencing in that moment. And so um, 
it was amazing how the focus changed. And the rest of that verse um, in 2 Corinthians, it says, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Mm. On him, we have set our hope. Amen. Yes. And it totally shifted from a focus on my circumstances, on what I can see and what I'm hearing. And the things that we were seeing and hearing were very scary, you know, for the nurse to say to Jeremy, at this point, sir, we need a miracle. Um, Like, I know that they didn't expect Caleb to make it. And then Mm -hmm. when he did start to make it and the doctor started to talk to us about his injury and the fact that 90% of people with this severe of a brain injury don't ever regain consciousness. And if they do, he's not going to walk or talk or Mm -hmm. eat or possibly even breathe on his own again. And so, you know, you hear those things, you see those things, but We weren't focusing on those things. We were focusing on God and his promises and his plan and his purpose. We had the two different, you know, the two different things going on and choosing to walk by faith in the Lord and trust in him and his plan and whatever he decided to do instead of our fear. Um, You know, that was kind of, and, and, you know, I remember walking through the halls of those hospitals when he was in the ICU and just even though it was such a time of uncertainty and such a time of just, I mean, it was such a strange thing because I felt so much at at peace, like more so at peace than I do in my regular everyday life. And I just remember thinking, Lord, if you continue to be with me like this and uphold me like this, I can do this as long as I need to. I can do this forever. Mm. Um, It was just such a a supernatural thing. Confidence. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it was amazing. I mean, people that were coming up to pray with us and we would circle up in prayer. And I just remember people being very much in awe of that um, not of and you're me like, personally. I don't know. It's just happening. <laughs> no, exactly. And I, and that's what I would say. I was like, this is all the Lord because I have no explanation of myself. You should have seen me in the car. You know, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, this is the Lord. He has totally provided himself. And it was, I mean, <laughs> the journey was so long. I, when I think of the two years, I really, it's amazing to me. It, I know I've said it several times today, but it was really the one day at a time mm. that is how we do any of this because really the Lord mm-hmm. supplies every day. He gives you the strength for today and the hope for tomorrow. And so yeah. we really did have to you know, walk through this one day at a time because mm-hmm. moving our family out to Colorado and then going um, to Nebraska and then to Boise and to all the different places and you know, the kids just kind of all over the place. And, wow. you know, and then Caleb, my older children have talked about how, like, when you went to the hospital with Caleb, especially in those early days when he hadn't really woken up and he was, you know, it was very just it was very hard to be with him because of how what his body was doing, the way he was acting, the mm-hmm. things that were happening. I mean, that was such a stressful environment. And then you come home and you've got the little ones that you're trying to deal with, you know, at the same time yeah. um, and try to keep everybody calm in the process. Yes, it was just a lot of. Um, but what's amazing is when we were in Colorado during that time, our family actually went through the Experiencing God Bible study and we did that together. And In the midst of all this, what should be the most difficult and is difficult of circumstances in your lives. And then for God to just allow you to see that he's at work and he has you here and he's caused, you know, you to 
choose this place or be in these people's lives or whatever is happening in our lives. Mm -hmm. He is working through that and he has a plan and he wants to use you there. And so it's not just that I'm at Craig Hospital trying to help my son get healed of this because God can heal Caleb anywhere at any time. Mm -hmm. But really, God has us there for a purpose. And so seeing every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and the hope that we have and, you know, seeing those things, um, he really allowed us to do that and to be used and to try to see that we are light here. You know, he's going to take care of us. He's going to give us what we need, but we're here. We're still on mission here, you know, mm-hmm. on this earth in the midst of this to be used. So he did, he, he really did allow us to, we almost saw this as a missionary journey that we went on from mm. this place to this place. And that our purpose was to make much of Jesus in all of this and his faithfulness and his, you know, just so that people could see what a difference he makes in your lives, no matter what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And so um, anyway, I could share and share and share about all of the things. <laughs> I know. I wish we had a billion I know. amount of time to do that. I know. Um, could you give us kind of a snapshot, a summary of Caleb? Because I know he was an athlete. I know he is just super amazing. But before the accident and kind of just walk us through in summary, kind of what he was like and where he is now. Yes. So Caleb before the accident was very um, quiet. Like he was my child who was very reserved and quiet and he was strong, but he was a very calm. He had a couple of really good friends, mm. but wasn't like come into the room and, you know, be the life of the party. He yeah. was very, yeah, just that kind of personality. And so, um, he has changed a lot since the accident and, um, anyone who has been around him recently would not call him quiet or, <laughs> you know, um, shy or reserved. He's got a boldness about him. Um, he is very much a people person. Um, if he walks into a room or is leaving a room, he wants to talk to every person, um, that's in the room. And not only that, but have like a meaningful conversation where he makes eye contact and he really, I feel like people just love to be around Caleb because of the way he talks with them and makes them just everyone I watch interact with him leaves with a smile and Mm -hmm. has been lifted in some way. And so Caleb was funny before, but not like a out loud, funny, more of a quiet, you know, whisper Mm -hmm. to my friend. But now he's more of an out loud, funny kind of guy. And so he's (laughs) known for that, for his humor. Um, you know, Caleb, he loves to share, like he's had many opportunities now to go and speak and share um, just his story with people. And he loves every opportunity. He will often ask, you know, when's my next time to go and speak? And he has spoken to youth groups and to schools and to business organizations. And Mm -hmm. I mean, just he connects with all ages of people, all walks of life. And I really think it's because, well, first of all, what he has been through. And then also just the spirit that he has and the determination and just people are inspired by him. Well, we're inspired by your whole family, by his resilience, (laughs) by your whole family's perseverance, by the community that just wrapped themselves around you. It's incredible. Yes. And God has really given Caleb a platform. And it's amazing because really one of the things that God spoke into my heart early on when we were still in the ICU is like, 
I'm going to use this. Like this is going to be bigger than what you can see right now or what you can imagine. I'm going to use Caleb and and to see God continue to give him a platform. And, you know, I don't know what that's going to look like in the future. You know, we have a documentary that is really amazing that we hope as many people as possible can see. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it'll end up being a future film. There's talk of it, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So all of that is in God's hands and he will obviously do what he wants to do with it. Mm-hmm. So we're just trusting him through that. But he has given Caleb an amazing platform. And, you know, um, when we're able to get out in crowds again, Caleb will be back speaking to as many people as he can and telling as many people about the hope that he has and the reason why he's still on this earth. So, mm-hmm. well, his mama's doing it right now. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> So he obviously recovered. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I can share about the day that he first responded and when they asked him questions and it was like all of a sudden he could answer these questions and things that we had been talking to him about. And it was just amazing like that day. And all of the therapists were shocked. What did your heart do? You know, it's amazing because I was so we were like happy dancing around the room and we were celebrating. But I also... I wasn't shocked. I knew it was coming. You know, it's like I knew that this was going to happen. And Mm -hmm. so I was just thanking God. Like we huddled up and we just prayed and we said, thank you, Lord, for this and for our faith being made sight in this way and um, for your promise being fulfilled in this way. And so, you know, it and it was a process of him because when he first showed that he was alert, there was still so much he could not do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he could not speak at first, except in really slurred. He had to point to a board and um, he did not have control over his body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has slowly had to relearn everything, mm-hmm. relearn to walk, relearn to yes, talk. Yes, talk, all of it. And so as a mom watching your 17 year old basically try to relearn to do all the things that you you know, taught him as a baby and you're, I'm spoon feeding him. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just the whole journey. I mean, I could share about the emotion of every part of that, but, um, the bottom line is he continued to progress and people's expectations continued to be exceeded. Um, Mm And all of it is, you know, the but God that he has the final say and it's his plan. And, you know, I will say this. It's still hard. Like this senior year for Caleb has been hard. Um, He isn't a starter on the basketball team like he would have been. Mm. He doesn't have that scholarship in cross country that he would have gotten. And those things are hard. They're hard for him and they're hard for us as Mm -hmm. his parents. Like every day we have to let go of our own dreams and desires and trust that God God's plan is better and that he's using Caleb for bigger things than those temporary successes or temporary dreams that we have for him or that he has. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Mm -hmm. And he reminds me, I remind him, we point each other to the truth. And I like to remind Caleb that his circle of influence before the accident compared to his circle of influence now and the way that God has used him. And one day he's going to really see all that. And he just has to keep on mm-hmm. looking toward that day. You well, know? And, it's such a powerful reminder for us listening right now, because I know we all need those reminders of truth. Like it's not just about us. It's yeah. not about us. Right. You know, and I read something that Caleb said about I hope this doesn't just point to me. I hope this points to God. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. Yes. You know, he's been amazing to um, to continue that. I, I mean, I can't explain. To, if you could come to my home, like 
if you could just experience a typical day of Caleb, like he, here he is a teenager in quarantine, mm-hmm. but he wakes up early. He has this regimen schedule of working so hard on all these things that he can and memorizing scripture, praying continuously. Mm-hmm. He spends hours a day praying and we can hear him. He prays out loud. Our home echoes with Caleb's prayers throughout the day. Um, he does pray for restoration, but he prays for people and lost friends and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. And so it's really amazing. He works so hard and he will tell you, I'm not doing this for myself. God has put it on my heart. I'm supposed to do this. And, you know, God's got this plan and he's such a, (laughs) I mean, I, I'm really in awe of it all. So, you know, it's very hard, but at the same time, it's just amazing. Like, I feel like, you know, the mom or Mary that just sits here and just ponders these things (laughs) in my heart, not really knowing exactly how to process all of it, but just being thankful and then just trusting the Lord. And thinking how far he's come and thinking how young he still is and how many years he has. I mean, like you said, none of us know the amount of our days, but I think it's pretty clear that God has given him a platform to use for his glory in a way that he might have not been able to otherwise. Yes, yes. I think there's always more that can be shared about Caleb, but that kind of can sum up where he is right now. And Mm -hmm. well, praise God for his life and that he is still alive and that he's using it to proclaim his goodness. It's amazing. So I know that your experience with Trey and with Caleb and, you know, many more things that you have gone through have probably changed you and changed your perspective on life and eternity and death and all the things. So in a nutshell, what is something that you would want to share with us about that? Um, you know, I think that how you view life on this earth, um, what you put your hope in, all of that, it really translates into how you live and what's important to you. And so like the hard things that happen, the suffering, you know, I think as Americans, we're so used to being comfortable and, Mm -hmm. um, that suffering is so foreign to us in so many ways, but I don't know why as followers of Christ, we don't expect suffering in our lives because the Bible says, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. Right. I have overcome the world. And, you know, Jesus came into this world and he suffered. He came to suffer. His followers suffered, you know, tremendously. And um, like if you're going to follow Christ, there's likely going to be suffering involved. And the Bible even says that we should rejoice in our suffering. Mm. And so that's hard for us to make sense of, but I don't think that the rejoicing and the joy comes from the suffering itself. It comes from what it produces Mm -hmm. in our lives and, and also for how God uses it. That's a good point. So I have seen in my own life through all of this that God has made me more dependent on him Mm -hmm. and given me a deeper intimacy with him. Um, He has shown me what it means to be a living sacrifice and to really give up what you love for what you love even more. And if he really is the most important thing in my life, then I want to make my life a living sacrifice to say to him, I'm yours. (laughs) Everything I have, even my children belong to you. And I want you to use them for your glory. Um, That is a lot harder to live (laughs) than it is to say. Mm -hmm. But but I think it's true, or it should be true of my life. It's amazing that God has given you the strength, like you mentioned, one day at a time. So I'm sure if you looked forward or if you would have looked back and known what was coming, 
Yeah. But in the moment, like he's provided. Yes. And and that's the thing about, you know, faith. It's like as a human being, I know myself and I know that if I had the choice and I could go back to the night of the accident, that I would have kept Caleb in my bed watching sports on ESPN. Mm -hmm. And I would have said, stay safe here, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that as parents, we want that for our kids. We yes. want our kids to be safe and happy. But yes, but then it's like just that's where the surrender comes, because it's like, Lord, I know that I would make the safe choice and I would make the selfish choice most of the time. But if I really do belong to you and I'm really dying to myself and making you Lord, making you boss, hmm. then I I want your will. I want your kingdom. I want your plan, even if that means I'm going to be in pain and uncomfortable on this earth. I know that that's not going to last forever. And so I can believe that with all my heart, but I still need the Lord to to do that in my life because I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to choose it myself, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to trust him when it happens. That's good. That's really good. And I love coming back to that line that I want to make God the boss of my life. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Trey, for that. That's good. (laughs) Um, Caleb and I are actually memorizing Philippians together right now. And um, what's amazing is he has already memorized the first three chapters. (laughs) Mm. And um, I have like a chapter and a half down, but he's done the first three. And with a brain injury, you know, memorizing things is not the easiest thing. So that's another thing that's amazing about how God is allowing Caleb's mind to work. So as far as his mind being healed, I know for a while, like you said, he had trouble, like his things were clicking, but he couldn't talk. He couldn't walk. So now where I guess is his brain at in that healing process? Yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, I wish I could see inside his head. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, Caleb is very, complex because in many ways he is the same as far as I'll see glimpses of Caleb and the things that he enjoys and what he's doing. Um, And then there are moments where he is uh, thinking differently about something and I'll be like, that's more of a middle school attitude or, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, And so he's progressing and the way he thinks about things, the ability to have a deep conversation or think very deeply about things that continues to grow in him. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a very simple faith, but at the same time, that is deepening as well. And so um, he is able to obviously take an information, process information, take tests, pass tests. Mm -hmm. You know, he can do all of those things. He can have relationship with you. It's just not quite to the same level that it was before. So you're kind of, if you were in relationship with Caleb, you're having to relearn Mm. or in many ways start over with him. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's hard to answer that question. Well, yeah. Well, (laughs) complex is the right word. I think you said it. So, well, we always love to know about any of your favorite resources that whether in the past or when you've been going through all of these difficult things or whether it's right now, just what are some things that lift you up, build your faith, encourage you, something that you want to pass on? Um, yes, I think that, you know, the main resource um, is going to be scripture itself. And I have found that not only meditating on it, but memorizing it is so important for our minds and just mm-hmm. because it makes all the difference in what our mind is focused on. That's good. And um, like I said, like the the memorizing of Philippians for Caleb has been huge. He was starting to feel discouraged and down and the Lord just put on my heart that I needed to focus him on scripture, like in a very powerful way where he would really 
focus on it. And so I said, Caleb, you need to memorize Philippians. And so as he has started to do that, it's been amazing how God's word has just changed him. And I feel like he connects in many ways with Paul because Mm -hmm. Paul talks about all the hard things that have happened to him, but they've happened to advance the gospel. And Mm. his purpose was to advance the gospel. And Caleb connects with that so much. He feels like his purpose on this earth is to advance the gospel. And these hard things are going to help do that. And so like the scripture has just helped him to find his purpose, his hope, his motivation, his all of that. And that's true for Caleb, but that's true for every single one of us. Yeah. Well, and you know, what's been going on in the world right now with the coronavirus, with being quarantined, with the economy, with everything that's kind of just nuts right now. We all, from what I hear and what I felt myself, it seems like we're all feeling a little um, out of sorts right now. And so focusing on scripture, memorizing scripture, and really kind of reprogramming our brain to think about the things that are true and to think about the Lord. And really what Caleb was saying, about himself that he exists to glorify God for his purposes. I mean, that's the same thing for us. And no matter what we've gone through, no matter what story someone has or what they're facing, whether it's a little thing or a big thing, they can all serve to point people to Jesus. So it's no small thing. Yes, absolutely. So um, I do love Randy Alcorn. He has the Eternal Perspective Ministries. Mm -hmm. Um, He's written a book called Heaven and a book Uh, 90 days of God's goodness. Those are two in particular that I like, you know, when Trey went to be with the Lord, people give you all kinds of, (laughs) you know, books of, you know, dealing with your grief. But I will say that the most comforting for me was just thinking about where Trey was and what he was experiencing. And then it helped me just look forward also to heaven. We hardly ever really (laughs) study um, heaven, even though we're going to spend our eternity there. And so um, his ministry has been really, it's really ministered to our hearts. Jeremy also loves all the books by Johnny Erickson Tata mm-hmm. and just her perspective on things. Um, another book that I really um, like is Praying Like Paul by Jonathan Graff. And I didn't even really get to speak about the prayer aspect, which was such a huge part of this journey, especially with Caleb. and mm-hmm. But um, just the power of prayer. It's just like scripture. Prayer changes you. It really does. It doesn't change God. It doesn't change his plan, but it changes your heart. And that I have experienced in amazing ways. So just the importance of prayer. I feel like we we really neglect prayer um, in our Christian walk. And it's really one of the most important mm-hmm. things that we do. So But I think that's pretty much it. There are many songs (laughs) that I love and that have spoken to us through all this. Um, A few of those that I wrote down were In Christ Alone, Even If, By Mercy Me, Mm. Though You Slay Me, The Reason for the World, The Goodness of God, and Because He Lives. Mm. So those were a few. Yeah, music and worship is so powerful, no matter what we're going through, I think. So. Emily, I am glad I will be able to listen to this episode again in the future because there's so much richness and depth to your perspective that honestly just needs to marinate in me for a while. And so I'm sure it's the same for everyone else. But lastly, if you could just leave us with one final word of advice for all of those who are at different messy tables all over the world, what would it be? Um, I would say the eternal focus is the key. And I don't know who said it. Um, Jeremy has said it from the pulpit, but he said, let what will matter to you most five minutes after you die matter most to you right now. Mm. 
And I think that's so important in the world we live in because we're all so busy and so distracted by so many things. And we need to stay focused on what truly is important. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. So, you know, what I'm doing today, is this what I would want to be doing if this were my last day on on the earth? Is this going to matter eternally or is it just something temporary? (laughs) So we can sometimes forget it, but man, it's the most important thing. Yes. Emily, thank you so much for being here. You are amazing and so inspiring, so encouraging. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for sharing and thanks for just being you. Oh, thank you very much for having me. And just know that any inspiration you get is coming from the Lord. Right. (laughs) Completely. (laughs) Hey, that is the mark of a true woman of God. So thank you, Jen. I've really enjoyed talking with you and I look forward to seeing you sometime, hopefully in person. Well, I do want to point out that all of the resources mentioned are linked in the conversation notes. And while the full documentary Emily mentioned isn't available online, we're going to link up a trailer and a couple of short videos connected to Caleb's story. So please, if you can, take a few extra minutes to watch those. And I promise you'll have an even broader perspective of what Emily's family has faced and how God has shown up. And if you haven't already, did you know you can subscribe to The Messy Table for free in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. You can also join my email list at genjewel.com, which I promise I do not abuse, but simply send out an email to those people first when a new episode goes live. We also love, love, love it when you join the conversation on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. Tag us if you're listening, and we love to reshare how God is using these conversations to impact your life. And last but not least, as we head back into our week, re-engaging our homes, our jobs, our neighbors, our kids, our world, don't forget, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.